Blog Talk Radio. It's a gridiron stud show and a promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Calamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad with your breakfast toast. Cut the music. It's the Good Iron Stud Show. It's Monday. What is today's date, Emil? Is it the 20th of February already? February 20th. Yeah, we just celebrated New Year's. How the heck? How'd this happen? I know. Time time flies when you're having fun, right? Time flies. We'll be catapulting ourselves towards the NFL. Start of the NFL season. I should start talking about the start of the NFL season like it's around the corner, just to mess with people's heads. It's really how our lives work well for some people for some people it can't get get here fast enough i mean well for me I, I at least need baseball to start last night i found myself watching a hockey game is that what you did no kidding you know uh, did anyone watch the uh, nba honest, all-star honest game God. by any chance did anyone tune into that uh, thing i can't believe they still even play that i mean it's turned into such a the last time the nba all-star game was played in any kind of competitive spirit I think Bird and Magic were around, and even then, they would play three quarters, horsing around, and then when the game was close, they'd play like the, the, the second half of the fourth quarter competitively. Well, Emil, I think we did the same thing with the Pro Bowl. Uh, it's really not supposed to be a competitive game. I think anyone who expects it to be that uh, is probably fooling themselves. So should we start, should we adjust our mindset when it comes to these type of games? Who knew? Like the, uh, the Major League Baseball got their uh, all-star game right. And it seems like everyone else doesn't seem to be able to do that. Well, but I'm not expecting your problem watching any kind of sports, right? Sports is entertainment, and in the sports business, you're selling competition. So if if the game is non-competitive, it's it's hard to get someone to tune in if you think about the product. So that goes back to what I said around the Pro Bowl. Why not just figure out a way to get more fan interaction with the players since they're horsing around and having a good time with their families in Hawaii in that case? and turn it into a skills competition. Now, the NBA has done that over the years with different things like slam dunk and three-point shooting, but, I mean, that may be enough. I mean, maybe maybe you do that in some, some way with a big, you know, if you come to the game or come to the competition, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you get closer to the court. I don't know, but I'm just telling you that I, I can't watch something like that. That's just me. Yeah, I don't think I, it's I can't. the pure fan. I, I guess it's just uh, it's some other folks that will jump on there. And uh, probably it'll be entertainment for them. I just think the purest of the game of football or a purest of the game of basketball just can't really take in uh, something like an all-star game. So I think that's where uh, they run into the problem. But I don't know. Those things aren't going away anywhere. So folks should just uh, get used to them being there. They make money. It's aired on television. They watch it. And so, you know, nothing's going to change there. Listen, Emil, I need to get into this, um, you know, in half because I, I promised that I would talk about this. And the other half is that it needs explanation. But uh, I went on a, a, a rising podcast here uh, last week on Thursday. It's called The Big Three Roll-Up, and it features 
three guys that are um, that are fans of uh, one's a fan of Miami, the other's a fan of Florida, and then other the other is actually a writer for Florida State. Um, and so I went on their podcast, a pretty popular podcast, and you know, in the midst of ask, answering questions, um, I made the comment that Miami is closer to Duke than they are to Alabama. And of course, when you're on a, a guest on a podcast, it's not your podcast. You don't, you know, you don't have unlimited time to go in depth like we can on our show about, you know, a statement like that. So I threw it out out there, and of course, you know, uh, people have a problem with this, as you could full, fully expect. And so it, I need to explain a little further as to what I mean by that. First of all, um, Amelin, you, you, you're, you're a guy who was around in the time that Miami came up. And I'm sure you remember a time when Miami was doing their thing and they were meeting resistance from within their own walls. You understand what I'm talking about? You ever well, right. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a little older than you, so I was around for, you know, as a, as a young child, you know, 10 years old, I was around for when Miami wasn't Miami yet. So, you know, I was right. around when, when, when Jim Kelly was, was, was taking them up, and a big deal was they finally beat Penn State once with Jim Kelly. I remember that. It had to be late 70s, early 80s, and that's right. when they started to become Miami. So I was around for exactly. the whole thing. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, we all know this thing kicked off really with Howard Schnellenberger coming in, making some uh, making some changes and doing some things that were different at the University of Miami. And uh, lo and behold, we worked ourselves into a championship, 1984, and things got going. For some reason, Howard Schnellenberger left that there. And uh, I can speculate. We can speculate on it. I am going to guess that he met some resistance at the top for some of the changes, though they were happy about there being a national championship. I think within the walls, there was some resistance to the changes that were happening. Then comes Jimmy Johnson, and where we weren't sure whether there were some resistance uh, with the changes that were made, we definitely, it was definitely out there with Jimmy. You remember all of the battles with Jimmy Johnson and the school president, Tad Foote. You do remember that, right? Yes, I remember it very well. Yep. Yeah, so it led ultimately to your team, your NFL team getting a damn good uh, football coach and multiple championships followed and ensued because of these differences. And so I'm making this point from the beginning. From the beginning, when the University of Miami is winning championships and doing all the great things that people remember of Miami football and the dynasties and all that, there, were, there was resistance from within for um, the image of the program. That was, almost, that was, that was always a big thing image of the program uh you know the dancing uh the fights that would happen um the athletes getting in trouble off the field that type of thing that resistance has always been there now the unfortunate hey, may i add was, something i mean i don't know where you're going with this because i want to hear it myself but mm-hmm. you know one observation i can make at uh, from my seat watching the way miami functions mm-hmm. they, there's a love-hate relationship i think with administration and the football program absolutely they, in my from my seat, they love the notoriety it's brought to the school. But right. a lot of people have to remember, Miami is a, a private university. And frankly, a lot of you know upper middle class people up here in the north send their kids down to Miami. Okay, Exactly. Um, that's, that's, that's the crowd yeah, that they so, want to cater to. So there's always been that resistance yes. from within. The unfortunate thing for the administration at the University of Miami at the time that they uh, were pushing back is that they had very strong personalities. Howard Schnellenberger, very strong personality. 
who took his ball and, and moved on. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, extremely strong personality. And they had a lot of battles, Tad Foote, Jimmy Johnson, to which I would dare say Tad Foote lost a good majority of them. And that went on until Jimmy Johnson just said, hey, listen, I'm, doing, I'm winning out here. We're bringing championships. We're bringing notoriety to the school. And still I've got to fight with you every year about this and that. And now I'm getting professional football offers. And I think I'm going to go ahead and take one of these because I don't see the long term here if I continue to have it's bad. It's hard enough to go out and beat all these teams and programs that are trying to catch up with us every year. Um, when I've got a fight from within, it makes my job that much more difficult. And I've always said this about good coaches. They know where to find the next opportunity. And Jimmy Johnson did not see this going long term. And so he moved on and took the job with the Dallas Cowboys. In came Dennis Erickson, uh, another strong personality, though not as strong as Howard Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson, won a couple of championships. The issues were the same. There were still the battles going on back and forth about the image of the program, image of the school. And then um, I think it was around this point that the administration got a little wiser. And here's how they did this. They started making a couple moves uh, around the Dennis Erickson time. One was... They, yeah, we, we want to still we want to be competitive in football. We, we, we like that we win championships, but we don't want to have this mentality of we're a football school and lose our academic reputation. Um, and so the move was made. There was an opportunity when we decided we needed to be in a conference to go from being independent to bypassing being in the SEC. And we went to the East. Personally, me, a player at this time, because I was a player at the time. Um, did not like this move at all. We well, you didn't like you didn't like the grouping of teams you're in with. It probably didn't make any sense to you, especially didn't the travel. Um, yeah, we're, but we're, I'm going to tell you where they were going. I don't. I agree with you, by the way. But but we're, I, yeah. I, I see them. If you remember the Big East, a lot of those schools. Penn State was still an independent at the time, so they would they would play them out of conference. Uh, Penn State's got a pretty good. Pardon me. Sure. I mean, we moved into a basketball conference because I could see it around that time. You basketball profile. Um, let's let's see if we can boost the basketball program, and we feel like the NFL can do their thing. So. Well, um, I, I think it was basketball and academics, because remember the other schools, that's where I was going with that, in the Big East with you were like Boston College, um, you know, Rutgers. I mean, there were some, some good academic institutions, and I think that's where Miami wanted to kind of put itself out there to cater to both crowds. Like, listen, we'll go kick their, we'll go kick their tails in football, but at the same time, we're playing against a bunch of pretty good academic institutions. At least that's what I took from it. Yeah, from a, and then from a football standpoint, um, you know, football will kind of just do their thing, and we'll piggyback right. off of football and try and boost up all these other things. But we just don't want to be known as a football school. It's that whole thing going on. And then eventually, right. um, you know, the Big East couldn't hold their act together, and um, we moved into another. We had a chance to move to another conference. Once again, we skipped the SEC and we decided to go to the ACC. The thought was the ACC, more of a conference with an academic reputation. If you go into the SEC, it's a bunch of football schools will lose somehow some academic lure. Because as you said, 
Um, there is a catering at the University of Miami to, um, for lack of a better word, the rich snobs up north. Correct or not correct? Well, no. I mean, that's you know, that's their market. That's I mean, they they want to be known, and I've got to watch how I'm going to word this because you got to remember when you're when you're recruiting, okay? It's it's hard if you're recruiting against schools that are going to use a different tax. Case in point, let's go to the ACC and the Pac-12. Both are highly regarded academically. If you yeah. go look at the NCA statistics, the Pac-12, Stanford, and USC are one and two in the graduation stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. they're all there's a bunch of U.S. News and World Report top 25 schools in both conferences. Okay, right. If I'm recruiting against those schools, they're probably going to have virtually the same standards as to when they're going to suspend a player for academics, um, who sure. they're not going to let in. If right. I want to be Miami and I'm going and I, I want to have this reputation and I go to the SEC and I'm not trying to take a shot here, but I think we can all say many of the SEC schools, not all, turn a blind eye to some stuff academically or, or lower their standards. And I think Miami just said we we don't want to be a part of that. So yeah, um, and 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 look, that's always been the case. And it just what seemed to happen to me was as the years wore on, they saw a better way to make that happen. They saw a better way to make these things happen without having to do the public battles with the head coach. So uh, two things, move into a conference that can more accomplish the, the reputation that they wanted to have. And then two, let's start hiring people at the head football coach position that we can have better control over. And that seemed to happen after Butch Davis. I think with Butch Davis, they felt like they would have some control found out they wouldn't and then they really started getting on that course where they're going to hire guys that they can have some control over so larry coker he's not going to push back he's going to be happy to have the job and so they can control larry coker and then you get randy shannon in there first head coaching job um uh you played at the school former alumni he's gonna he's gonna kind of just toe the line and then after that this is how a guy like al golan becomes a head coach at the University of Miami. And step by step, those moves were made. And then at the same time, college football was taking on um, a different look, so to speak. It became a multi-million dollar business that turned into a multi-billion dollar business. And money starts started really driving college football. I think you and I have seen that over the last decade plus. It's um, it's um, oh, arms yeah. Rate. I mean, it, it's always driven it, but now the money's so big that it's it's pretty much taken over the sport. Exactly, and the money is used in a variety of ways. Um, whether that is building up facilities, um, massive on-campus structures, uh, paying assistant coaches um, really big salaries, paying coordinators like they were head coaches. Um, and, you know, some other things that we don't really need to get into, but I think you can, you know, read between the lines there. And as college football started to make that turn into that area, into that arena, and started heading in that direction, the University of Miami was not positioned to be at the head of that pack. So where we were in the 80s, right. we're putting athletes out there on the field that are dominant, that are better than everyone else's, and we've, we're the thing of the 80s. As time wore on, we did not position ourselves for what became the new college football. And as I sit here right now, the administration, the fans obviously are unhappy about it. Uh, They want things to get back to the way they were in the 80s. They want the Michael Irvin days. They want the Melvin Brand days, the Alonzo Highsmith days. They want a 2001-type team back. That's what they want. 
But the administration is, I think, happy with the way things are right now. You've got a basketball team that can push to get into the NCAA tournament every year. You've got a basketball complex on campus. Um, the basketball program has come a long way from where it is and where it was. And you also have, in their eyes, maintained their academic reputation by being in a conference with these academic schools. ACC, when joined, when joined, Emil, can you, you can agree or disagree. Tell me where you stand on this. The ACC at the time the University of Miami joined it was a basketball conference. True or no? True it, or it really was, and it really was, and you know it may it may be a basketball conference again at some point. I mean they've had a good run the last couple of years, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. So we'll see if it stays where it's at right now. Right. So what I'm seeing right now is uh, an administration, not the fan base, an administration, not the football program, but an administration who's happy with the overall look right now. You've got a basketball program that's competitive. You have your academic reputation. And the football team's not winning championships, but we're okay. Let's stay, you know, a couple games above 500. If we're 8-4, and we're 9-4, and we're okay. We don't have to, in their eyes, forsake a whole bunch of other things to be 12-0, and 12-1, and win back-to-back championships, win three championships in four years. They're okay with that. They're fine with that. And from that standpoint, it would seem to me that University of Miami is closer to being Duke than they are to Alabama. They're not going to go pay their defensive or offensive coordinator $1.5, $1.7 million a year. They're not doing that. They'll do that at Alabama. University of Miami is not going to do that. And, yes, they'll build an an indoor facility, um, and they'll try to, they'll attempt to keep up with the uh, facilities at other places, but at the end of the day, if those other places accelerate and take their facilities to another level, the University of Miami will lag behind in that. You know, I don't know what's coming well, in the future, but I don't well, think... let me ask you, what's your student body down there, about 14,000? Uh, I think it's more than that. That's something that requires to, to to look it up, but I, I think yeah. it's a number that's higher. My point that. is it's not 35 or 40. No. Right. No, it's not. And I think the administration down there is happy with their niche in the world. I've told you this over the years on the show, us having conversations. In a lot of ways, you know, it's funny. You and I like these teams. I like to follow Miami. I -hmm. find Miami much similar, more similar to the school I like, USC. Now, USC is a bigger school. A lot of similarities. They're both in really nice, warm-weather cities with a lot to do, strong academic uh, you know, reputation. USC has a great one. I mean, it's a bigger school, but um, you know, with, with, the, with the graduates, it might be 30,000. I think the undergrad is about 18 or 19,000 there. It's mm-hmm. not an SEC-sized school. The difference is, you know, one, they've gotten they got a head start on Miami in this football thing by about 60 years, so that sure. helped them, okay? Right. And they've been able to maintain that academics because the schools they recruit against, other than your famous line, when we were mm-hmm. talking about a certain school in the South and you called it Arizona State of the South, the only huh. school they really recruit against that, that pretty much – you know, pushes the standards aside in the conference. A couple of them would be like Arizona State and Colorado, from what I understand, mm-hmm. are not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying there's not smart people there, but they're not going to hold the standards of a Stanford or a, a Cal or a USC or a UCLA. 
So it's easier when you're recruiting if everybody else is playing that game, and that's what I'm trying to say. If you're Miami, you're in the deep south, and you want to maintain that standard, and you're going to go in and recruit against an Alabama or an LSU, it's going to be harder for you to get as many players. It just is. It, right. If that's the way you're going to play uh, the and game. And I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. I mean, you're, you're hitting dead on right there. But there was – there is a big mistake in that thinking that's occurring. And you know what? I'm going to talk about that mistake. We'll discuss that mistake when we get back on a Gridiron Stud show right after this. Hey, hey, hey. Do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoff. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one day contest for $25 and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! Uh. We're back here on the Gridiron Studs Show. Before going to the break, Amo, uh, I laid out um, a little bit of the history of the University of Miami football program, how it came to prominence, and how it has faced resistance from the word go. And yet the championships came despite the resistance. Well, what happened, and I'm, you know, I, I sound like I'm talking about Star Wars here, but um, what happened despite the resistance were the championships, but at some point the resistance got smarter. And um, they kind of corral things in their favor to kind of win out on what it is that they wanted without looking as bad. And I don't think it's been – I hate to use the word exposed because you, as a university, you're, these are the decisions that you make. And I can't be mad at you because you have, you have your course that you want to set. You have the reputation that you want to have for your school. It's your school. You could do that. Um, but I think the mistake that was made is that they thought football would be what football is despite of the environment that you put it in. And so when you're down here in the South, the university of Miami, and um, you think that you put yourself in a conference with North Carolina and North Carolina state and uh, you know, some of the other schools in the ACC. And you think that that's going to be your only competition when it comes to recruiting so that, so now the rules, as you have stated, are going to be similar for all of the schools in the conference as they go about trying to build their football programs and recruiting. 
um, you're dead wrong because that's not how this whole thing works. We are in the hotbed, and that's been proven, especially with the numbers. The more high school football prospects um, sign Division I football scholarships out of the state of Florida than any other state. Now, mind you, Florida is third in size to Texas and California. Well, they produce I the mean, most- let, let me interject here. That's part of the problem with the thinking in, in terms of what they did in the South in football is the problem is – just because you've moved to a conference, you, yes, you butt up against the SEC. So in the, at the end of the day, there's nothing to stop them from coming to Florida. There's nothing to stop Michigan and Ohio State and the, the, the Big Ten schools from coming down there. So they're in kind of a unique position. It's hard to set those rules up. Whereas in our previous segment, I talked about the, the, the similarities I saw with, say, a private school like a USC. The, mm-hmm. It's easier for those guys out west because they're west of the Mississippi. Generally yeah, what's your competition? Speaking, that's right. They're recruiting a completely different set of kids. And a school like a USC or a Stanford, because of their reputation in both football and academically, they can cherry pick a kid from the south and target them and say, listen, he meets our academic standards. Um, we think this kid w- would be the kind of kid that could come out here and not be homesick. We're going to go after a kid here and a kid there. You're cherry picking, but you're not going into Louisiana and Alabama and Georgia and Florida to get your whole entire team. And that's that's where Miami's situation is a lot different than, say, the USC and the Stanford and the UCLA. Right. So you're in a conference with North Carolina and NC State and Wake Forest and so on and so forth, and now Syracuse and some others. Um, but the truth of the matter is when you're down here recruiting, trying to compete against those schools and those conferences – you are also battling Alabama, and you're battling LSU, and you're battling Florida and, and Georgia, and you're battling Auburn, and you're battling Tennessee, and everyone else in the immediate area that, area that comes down here. And then now you're also battling the Big Ten as they've looked to up their uh, profile um, with the addition of some coaches. So Harbaugh's down here, and Urban Meyer's down here, and James Franklin's down here, and Mark D'Antonio's down here. Everyone comes down here. So you're not just competing against the teams in your conference. You're competing against all these other places. And you will hear time and again fans down here bitching about players leaving out of this uh, out of their city, uh, leaving out of Dade and Broward County to go to all these other places. And that has been set up. See, people want to think that oh, the alumni are are, are the problem, or um, you know, they, I've seen no. all kind of excuses as to why uh, the University of Miami can't grab all the players that they want down here in South Florida, but nobody running it all the way back to the administration who made the moves to put the football program in the environment and the position that it's in now to where it is significantly behind an Alabama or an LSU. Now, some fans might argue, well, you know, Miami is not, if they were to play last year, that it wouldn't have been a blowout so on and so forth. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. The truth of the matter is, yeah, if you look at any given year, like in a four-year stretch, okay, in 2013, that would have been a close game. Well, what about in 2014 sure. and 15? Alabama has a program that's no, dominant I mean, you know, every you, year. you got to look. You, you, no, you're 100% right. I mean, you got to look at this stuff. I mean, I hate to I, – I don't want to come across as a – you know, some some snot that's saying, you know, that's bashing the South. I mean, listen, I tell people all the time, when I watch a football game on Saturday, 
I really don't care about your debate team, okay? You can tell me about it all you want. I watch a football game on Saturday to be entertained, and I find myself being more entertained when my team wins, okay? Mm -hmm. But that said, if we want to deal in the reality of it, okay, I just pulled this up for you, and I want you to hang with me. This is the U.S. News and World Report top 25 schools this year. I'm only going to pick out the schools in football. I'm not going to read the whole list, okay? Okay. The first one we find is from the Pac-12. Stanford is number five. Mm -hmm. The next one we find is Duke. From the uh, ACC, they're number eight. Now, you got to remember, this is for you folks out there. This is Yale's on this list, all the Ivy League schools, John Hopkins. I mean, these, these are the best schools in the country. I just gave you one from the Pac-12, one from the ACC are in the top ten. I come down here. Big, the Big Ten comes in with Northwestern at number 12. Okay, Mm -hmm. then we come along, we get Notre Dame, they don't count. Vanderbilt's our only SEC school in the top 25, and Vanderbilt's Mm -hmm. a a really good school, Chad, you know that. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we come along, Pac-12, UCAL Berkeley, number 20. Number 23, University of Southern California. Number 24, Mm -hmm. University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA for the rest of you. Number tied at 24, University of Virginia from the ACC. Michigan mm-hmm. from the big you, – you see where I'm going here. Wake Forest from the ACC, right. North Carolina from the ACC, Boston College from the ACC. This is all in the top 35 now. I haven't hit another SEC school. Do you see where right. I'm going here? Miami's at number 44. Very impressive. Sure. Still haven't hit another SEC school. You, you see where I'm going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but let me ask this question. Okay, Vanderbilt's in there. Would Vanderbilt be higher on this list if they were a member of the ACC? Perhaps they would. I don't think so. I don't think they care much in this whole thing. They they have criteria crunched in spreadsheets as to you know so who gets jobs, is, what the school. Would, would the University of Miami be lower on that list if they were in the SEC? I just I, I don't that understand. I can't answer. We, we yeah, I, I, but you know, in your opinion, do you think they would be either a good academic school or you're not? Why is that tied into? I think, well, I think what happens, and I think that's the concern with the university, is a football team, as you know, I mean, you've got 100 kids. I mean, so, you, so you're not just bending rules for, like, one kid that is playing golf or something. You know right. what I mean? you got to sure. bend some rules if you want to, you know, you got to break some eggs if you want to make an omelet. And you mm. start bending some rules, and before you know it, um, you know, you, you just you've your lowered academics your are going to at least – the perception. Now, listen, Florida comes in next. They're number 50, so they made the top 50. That's the next SEC school I found. Uh, Penn State was number 50 as well, tied with Florida. So, you know, those two schools, Florida's managed to do quite well and apparently has a good academic reputation because, I mean, for, for those of you out there, there's thousands and thousands of schools in the United States. Okay, It is a tad so, more, I'm going to say this, it's a tad more difficult for football players to get into University of Florida than a Florida State. Um, there are a few more hurdles to jump because of the academic end of it. And has it, it does it seem to me like, a, I mean, would you say over the last 20 years, Emil, the whole academic reputation and ranking thing has taken more importance? Well, yeah, because when we you and I were going to school, I mean, we, the Internet wasn't around. So, you know, finding this information, if it was out there, you'd have to go to a library and even know that it was out there and pull a report. Now, you know, I mean, U.S. News and World Report, I think, always had, you know, that issue. But unless you were like a 17- or 18-year-old reader buying it at a newsstand, you didn't necessarily care. Now you just bang right. into so the Google, pops up on your screen. Right, so the information is readily available at the fingertips of yeah. everyone. So because that, because, right. that, because that information is more readily available, there's more of a catering to it. 
And I think our, the fan base, the University of Miami fan base, needs to understand what's happening here. I've seen blame thrown everywhere. And the truth of the matter is, I think we really need to do this. Cherish that time in the 80s. Cherish the time that we had in the early 90s. Cherish that 2001 team and the dominant teams that we had in 2000, 2001, and 2002. But those days, as it stands now, because of the mindset and the vision that the administrators at the school have are not coming back anytime soon. If you think the University of Miami, by way of where they're positioned in the environment, is on their way to somehow toppling an Alabama or, uh, you know, a, a an Ohio state or something like that. I think you're kind of fooling yourselves. And if that's the whole well, reason think- that you determine whether or not you're going to attend a football game, then you know what? The fans are going to start becoming the problem. Get that football game. Cause you love the school. You love the university of Miami and you're not in love with what the university of Miami was used to be. And it seems like that's what we have. We're in love with what the team used to be. And if they're not going to be that this year, well, we're not going to come to games. Well, and I, like. I say this as as I say this as someone who counts myself as a you know a, a closet fan of the University of Miami. You know, I mean, everybody who knows the show knows who I like. But you know, I have schools I like. You know, I like Miami. I like Florida because of obvious reasons. There, I have some school Texas. You know, you know, I you know schools. Anyway, I'm a fan, so I want I want Miami to be be a good team. But so I'm not saying this to be hurtful. I think what people have to realize is that. 25 years or 20 year period where the team was so dominant may have just been the perfect storm. Um, exactly. You, it's you, a moment in time. You've got to understand your history to understand where something came from and where, where it's going. Okay. Miami back in the day, and I'm, I'm older than you and we're probably both older than most of our listeners mm-hmm. was viewed as a, a really nice private school down tucked in the, the you know deep south of Florida where the weather was nice. Um, as I said earlier, I, I know, believe it or not, up here in Pennsylvania, I could easily walk around in my Rolodex here. People I do business with know that either went to Miami or have a kid at Miami. I mean, you'd be mm-hmm. surprised, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of that went on for 50, 60 years. Back in the 50s and 60s, Miami's football program, I mean, sure, they produced a, a good player here and there, like a Ted Hendrickson, the guy, the stork from the Raiders. Sure. But, you know, generally speaking, they were a team that won some games against competition they should win. Florida State stunk at the time. That was their rival. You know, they went back and forth, whoever won that game. The Alabama throw them on the schedule, you know, and beat them and, so would you know? So would Notre Dame, and occasionally a Penn State, and you know they were a middle of the road program. I mean, they were you know. Then along comes the, the Schnellenberger. He brings in a guy like Kelly, who mm-hmm. wanted to go to Penn State. By the way, Joe Paterno mm-hmm. looked at him and said, "You're a linebacker, son." And Jim Kelly right. said, "I'm a quarterback, sir." <laughs> so, yeah, and that was really Jim knew uh, what was best. You know, it seems he knew what right. was best. Right, Jim knew what was best, but that was the key recruit, in my opinion, mm-hmm. for that program. Because if you go back and look at the history, Schnellenberger came down, he got his quarterback, and we all know Jim Kelly became an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback. Who knew? And mm-hmm. I'd have to go look up the year, but I, I distinctly remember a game against Penn State that Kelly beat them, and it was a surprise. And Penn State, for younger listeners, you know, they came back this year, but Penn State was a powerhouse at the time. They were a northern right. powerhouse. 
they were they were always ten and one, nine and two, eleven and zero. They were a good team. So that was a big win. And then you know, as you pointed out, he got it going. He passed it off to Jimmy, who they happened to find at the right time, a guy who didn't get the Oklahoma job. Switzer was there. He was at Oklahoma State. Um, so he ended up going down to South Florida. He likes fishing. He stayed there. <laughs> I, mean, right. I mean, it just kind of everything. You know, I think, Amor, what it, what, it, it, what it ended up being was at that time you made those kind of decisions with a head coach. You went out and got that kind of a guy, and I just don't think that that's going to be the mindset anymore. So, you know, if you're looking for the top of the top, you're just not sure what – the university is going to do when it comes time to change a coach. You're just not sure. It's the mindset that well, led I don't to forget you. Al You're Golden also talking being about... a head coach at the University of Miami. It's just the mindset. Your mindset was different. If your mindset was back to where it was in the day, you don't make that higher. You don't set the program back like that. And so you have to wonder with each time that you've got to make some changes or, or you know, it, the uh, head coach is out, what are you going to do? What interest are you going to serve when you make a new head coach hired at the University of Miami, and that worries. and don't well, don't forget one other thing, Chad. The the administration and where this changes, and and and, and you know this from taking your your sons mm-hmm. out on these trips. The administration of Miami seems that they're not interested in getting into uh, a war of facilities. Uh, right. You know, they'll they'll make them suitable. Arms race, okay, but they, they view it. it as I think we're a good school. We're down here in South Florida. Look around. The beach is nearby. There's a lot of things to do. The school's beautiful. Um, if that's not enough for you, sorry. And these kids today are going to see these places, and you can attest to what's out there, sure. Alabama and Tennessee and LSU and USC. I mean, hey, look at USC's in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. They've had, whatever, seven Heisman Trophy winners. They had to upgrade their facilities. I mean, that, that exactly. center they built is beautiful from what I understand. I mean, I, 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 it's supposed to be I've gorgeous. But they had I've to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, m- most definitely. Because all of your, your history and who played there before and who won a Heisman Trophy, it's just not going to be enough. It's just not going to be enough. No. And so uh, my attack, um, this is not an attack on the administration at the University of Miami. And to say it again, it's their school. They can do what they want. What I'm merely trying to do here is lay it out for the fan base. Because the fan base, it gets... They get so tied up in a knot that when they don't get the recruits that they want or they don't win as much as they want to, they go on this rampage and they start attacking everyone. Obviously, I've been attacked um, quite a bit because neither one of my sons decided to go to the University of Miami. What the fan base wanted was for me to, despite whatever my kids wanted, I was supposed to grab them both by the back of their necks and make them go to the University of Miami just because. That's what they think my job was as a parent, as a father. I was supposed to do that. Go grab the two of them and say, you ain't well, got no well, choice. Anybody saying that university. is either selfish or doesn't have kids because you can't do that. It doesn't work anyway. You'd have an unhappy youngster at a place they don't want to be. So the fans can relax. It probably wouldn't have worked out as well for either side. So Right. You know, My that, kids, like, just, like a ton of the others that are around now, can see things for what they are. Um, and you got to give them credit. Kids now are as savvy as – more savvy now than they have been. And, yes, Emil, they're going around and they're seeing other programs. And it's not just the facilities. They're seeing everything that's going on. I mean, you got to give the kids more credit. Um, and so because, A, because a kid decides to go play somewhere else, uh, and they're from Dade or Broward County, doesn't mean there's something wrong with that kid. 
And because a kid decides to stay at home and go to University of Miami, does it mean that he's somehow better than someone else that did? It just happened to be that that's well, the best opportunity for that kid. Being at the University of Miami happens to be the best opportunity for them, where that might not be the case for another kid. But the fans run around. And well, and don't forget what the Internet and social media has done, Chad. I mean, you guys were able with Florida and Florida State, okay, basically because information was not as easily disseminated 20 years ago, okay, even 20 years ago. You were able to put a lock, basically, on the state of Florida, by and large. Sure. Okay. Exactly. Everybody who was really, really good in the state of Florida pretty much went to one of those three schools, give or right. take. Okay. Right, and you didn't have the it, means, there just wasn't the know-how, or the motivation to go visiting all these other schools. That's the truth. Correct. And it was easier. Now that's never happening again. And, you know, I, again, I don't say this to be hurtful. I say this as a realist. I would say Miami, a, a school right now that's in the midst of going through a Miami situation, that probably is going to be like Miami going forward, is a school like Oregon. Okay, I think they had their golden era. I think they'll have good teams here and there along the way, and I think Miami will too. I think Miami's going to have a good team next season. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you can – figure Miami or Oregon to ever be, you know, I think Oregon will be like Miami now, is what I'm saying. I don't think they're going to be perennial top 10 teams every year, just based on how they're set up going forward and what they're up against. And that's just the way I feel. I, I could be so wrong, they set up of course. By the administration. It's not the fault of the high school coaches that are down here. It's not the fault of quote-unquote mentors that are down here. It's not the kids' fault. It's not the parents' fault. It's not, it's not the alumni's fault. The administration set things up this way. This is how they wanted it. And they may say things publicly, but behind closed doors, they're content with where things are football-wise. Would they like uh, greater attendance? Sure. I mean, if they're not selling it out, um, then there's always room for improvement from where that stands. But they would not forsake all the other things that they have done uh, on campus and with the athletic program to pack the stadium every game and to win back-to-back national championships. And from that standpoint, I say Miami is closer in the mindset, administration-wise, to being Duke than it is to being Alabama. If they were told well, to fall on one side of the fence, you're going to do the things that are done at Duke, or you're going to do the things that are done at Alabama, I think the administration would choose the Duke route way before they would choose I, I think you're 100 I think you're 100% right if that's what you said on that podcast I I really wouldn't disagree with you at all I I see your point and I and I'll say this what bugs me as an outsider when I watch Miami every year what drives me bananas with your fan base is you know you're in this beautiful city the weather's generally always nice other than the occasional thunderstorm sure. and nobody shows up at these games anybody could be a fan when your team's good I mean I drag my ass whenever I can to an SC game, okay? I went up to Boston College a couple of years ago. The team ended up being like an 8-5 and five team. They weren't going right. to win anything. It was raining, okay? <laughs> I watched the game on a Saturday night in the rain. I'm a fan. They're my team. Show up and watch them. You guys have them in your backyard. If I was living down there, I'd probably try to make every game, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, and I've heard all the excuses. And listen, quite frankly, it would be great if there was – a stadium on campus, but come on. I mean, we travel great distances down here in South Florida to go do a number of things entertainment-wise. Don't tell me it's too far to go to 
um, Hard Rock Stadium, as it's called now, right? You know, and that's listen, an I'll excuse. Tell you, you know what that is? That's your fans there. saying. How about I throw this in there? Listen, uh, a part of the mindset of the administration and the powers that be at the University of Miami allowed the Orange Bowl to be destroyed and turned into a stadium for the local Major League Baseball team. Because if there, if that wouldn't happen in Alabama. It wouldn't happen in Baton Rouge. It wouldn't happen in Columbus. No. It wouldn't happen in Ann Arbor, the way things are right now. It wouldn't happen in Athens, Georgia. That would not happen. The mindset nope. allowed that to happen. Yeah, and, you I know, agree. I like, I, mean, I like the local Major League Baseball team. I'm not in love with them. But every time I get on that expressway and I drive and I look over to the right and I see that baseball stadium there in place of where the Orange Bowl was, it just there's just a little bit of a sick feeling to me. And it was the mindset. Well, that I thought, that I thought happen. getting rid of the Orange Bowl was a bad idea. I thought it was the identity of the program. Um, you know, I mean, that's kind of what you thought about about Miami was playing them in the Orange Bowl. So Absolutely. I mean, that to me is sad. I, I, I do think, though, the fans have to become better fans. I, you know, this isn't a pro team. What I mean by that is with a pro team, if the owner is going to throw garbage out there, they're all getting paid. If they want to play like garbage, well, you know, I'm not going to give you my money. That's my only way to change the team. This is a college yeah, okay. team, and if that's the college you, if you love the college and you love the University of Miami, then you show up yeah. and support them. I exactly. Mean, that's the what whole I've been notion saying. of so, Amos, Yeah, the whole the notion pansy, that oh, it's too hard to get there. Fans. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, but the pansy ass fans on Twitter and the pansy ass fans in the message boards, they want to go around spreading the blame everywhere else to the players, to the former, to the former players, to the players at the high schools or the coaches at the high schools and this that way and all the other ways you're going to blame it for the team not being a double digit winner in years or having not made it to a conference championship or having played for a national championship for those pansy ass fans on social media who got a ton of uh, opinions and are constantly opening their mouth and spewing a bunch of nonsense half of them which weren't even alive in the time when this thing was really rolling the way that it was rolling I think those guys really just need to shut the hell up and just show up to some games. But they're in there making themselves stars because they've got nothing else going on in their life. And they've got, they feel like everyone's hanging on their every word. And they feel like they're somehow witty by going on Twitter and putting out their, you know, their complaints. And like I said, blaming everyone else. You're not, you're not that funny. Okay. You're not that witty. Which you no, and you know, like I said to you, you know, you know me a long time. I I'll be the first one to tell people I'm a goofy fan. I mean, I, as much I love sports, I love my teams, and I support them, and I watch them when they lose, and and I hope they win more than they lose. But I remember not this past September, the September before, uh, I was out on vacation in, in L.A. at a resort, and I got tickets, and my wife and I we went down, and that that year I think they were eight and six. It was an average team. We went to the Stanford game, and here's me with a rental car, my GPS on, driving down into South Central. Me and my wife's like, where, where are you going? Do you know where you're going? I'm like, I'm going to find it. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's, that's what being a fan is to me. I 